Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, so when I walked in this morning, I had the podium set up and everything. I'm not sure who it was, but somebody graciously left me their homework on, on my stand here. It's a great list. shows what days they went through and what verses they found. Uh, just giving thanks to, is mentioned in the Word. Just a couple of verses that they have down here, Romans 14, 5 through 6. You've got Psalms 92, 1 through 4. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Psalms 95, 2 through 3. Let us come into the presence with thanksgiving. We have Daniel 6.10 at the end of that. That verse, it says, give thanks before his, or gave thanks before his God. You have Psalms 97.12, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to, the whole, to his holy name. And then you also have Psalms 104 through 5, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I give thanks to my God always. So that's amazing how, I mean, you can go through, there's plenty of apps, there's plenty of ways you can just search for thanks or things like that whenever you expand that even further to like gratitude or to praise or to any one of the words that you can insert for thanks. It's, it's throughout the entire word and it's continual through the word and it's always directed really towards one source and that's the Lord which transitions wonderfully into what we'll be talking about today. We're going to go a little bit deeper into uh, our last point last week. Uh, if you remember, the last point was receive. And so today we're going to be going over uh, more of a, a deep understanding of receiving, what that means, like who are we receiving this from. Before we get into that, though, I did have a quote that came up on my Facebook memories that I posted a few years ago. You know, it goes perfectly with what we were talking about last week with our, our bullet point of distraction. The fact that we're continually busy throughout our entire lives, but even within those quiet moments we have, we find ways to be distracted. And John Piper wrote this, and it strikes me hard, especially considering I found this on Facebook. But he says, one of the greatest uses of Facebook and Twitter will be to prove at the last day that prayer, prayer goodness, I cannot say that word. One of, the last, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove that on the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. So the fact that we can be on Twitter and we can be on Facebook endlessly scrolling is an indication that that's time that we could use just to communicate with the Lord or to do other things. So I thought that was a very convicting point. Does anyone remember what we went over last week? Primarily those last three bullet points that we had. What was the first one? That was the second. <laughs> that was one of them, though. So the first one was recognize. So we were in our busy lives, and we have that constant distraction of things going on around us. It's important for us to stop and recognize, to take the time and notice our surroundings and the things going on around us in our life. The second one was, Warren, reflect. We need to sit and when we have that time or when we make that time or we force ourselves to recognize the things going on around us, it's important for us to also reflect on those good things. And that's when I went into that. 
entirely too long demonstration of coffee and how we can reflect on how, how the good things that are going on around us are brought to us through the grace of the Lord. And the final one is to receive it, to take the time to realize that the good things around us are gifts of grace from a great giver. Everything that we receive comes with the indication that it was given by somebody or something. So if we're receiving, and ultimately, any gift that we give, if Bryce gives me a gift, it's a great gift from Bryce, but it's the grace of God that has put that, that conviction into Bryce to give me a gift. Everything that we can think of in our life is a good gift from the Lord, ultimately. So like I said earlier, what we're going to do today is dive a little bit deeper into that receive portion of those three. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into taking our eyes off the gift and putting it on the giver. So we're going to really hone in on ways that we can be thankful in our lives to God for everything that we have. Before we get into that, though, I'm going to open us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We just thank you for the God that you are. We thank you that you are a loving and gracious God to us. We thank you that you're a God that gives us gifts lavishly. I mean, even the smallest things that we receive are huge gifts of grace from you. We know that we deserve death from the time that we sin, but you, you stay that punishment for a short time to bring us to you to stay that punishment for a lifetime, Lord. We just thank you for uh, being that gracious and loving God to us. We just pray that this time is uh, a time that is focused strictly on you, that it would be a time that we can apply to our lives, that whenever we leave this place, we have a desire to spread your gospel and uh, just fulfill that great command that you gave us, Lord, just to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Just pray that we would have the boldness and the uh, strength to do that in our, our world outside of these doors. It's your name that we do pray. Amen. So the first thing that we're going to be going over before we really break into that, getting into the, the deep portions of receiving, is having an understanding of what Christian gratitude is. If you had to define, I'm going to open the floor, so if you had to define what the world's definition of gratitude is, what would it be? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Anybody else have any definitions that you would think that you would get outside of the church on what gratitude is? It doesn't have to be a hard one. So the, I mean, some of the examples I have down are being thankful for some new thing that we have. I got like a, a new phone. Maybe being thankful for a job that you have. Most worldly definitions of Thanksgiving fall short of the true definition, though. It tends to be thankful uh, in a thing or in a way, but not really thankful for the, the giver. It tends to be focused more on the receiver and how much the receiver has received. We think of Thanksgiving and people being really thankful. We think of some of those shows from like the early 2000s of like Extreme Home Makeover and things like that. They're always over the topic thankful. But if you were just to give them five bucks, they wouldn't have been that thankful but you completely gutted their house and gave them all new things. They're extremely thankful. It's because of how much they received. A very worldly definition really relies on the received, not necessarily the one giving the gift. Gratitude as a Christian, though, should be viewed in a very different way. 
Feeling grateful should lead to another step. It shouldn't just end at gratefulness. Feeling grateful for, should lead to, lead to another step in the process of gratitude. It ultimately should lead to thanksgiving in someone, and that someone primarily being God. And in the book, Crow says, Thank, thankfulness for something leads us to thankfulness to someone. Christian gratitude goes farther than the receiver and the received. It wraps its thankful arms around the received, the receiver, and the giver. As believers in Christ, we acknowledge that all good things come from the Lord. And we see that in James 1, 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. However, as believers in Christ, we also acknowledge that we all fall short of our calling due to the sin that we have to fight on a daily basis. We, we often fall short, especially in, in this building, we often fall short because we have that, that tug of that self-made American. We all feel the tug of that false song of, of Frank Sinatra. I've lived... And I'm going to try to quote him. I'm going to try to do it not in song form. But the, the quote is, I've lived a life that's full, full traveled each and every highway. And more, much more, I did it. I did it my way. That's the mentality that we often have. That's the mentality that we often fall into. We sometimes also feel the disingenuous tug at our heart to thank those that have helped us because it's what's expected of us. Ultimately going down the road of this selfish humility that we often fall into. We do it because we know we're supposed to do it. And oftentimes we do it because it also makes us look good. We don't want to be seen as ungrateful, so we're going to do it just so we don't, we don't seem ungrateful for things. So like every class so far, we're, what we're going to do now is we're going to bridge that gap. We're going to figure out how we go from our prideful self and entitled ways of thinking we earned our gifts to realizing that we earn none of them and embrace a good and gracious giver. So what we're going to do now is go over four ways that we can bridge that gap from selfish thanksgiving to a gratitude towards the Lord. So I, I went back, and this is off the notes, but I went back and listened to my last class. And it, it's so quiet in this auditorium when like, I have those pauses. And I was like, man, why is it so quiet? Like, it just feels kind of stuffy. And then I listened to my voice, and I realized, I sound like I'm yelling at you the entire time. <laughs> like, I don't have a lot of inflection in my voice. That's just me. So I apologize for that. All right, the first of these bridges that we're going to go over that will take us from that selfish understanding of gratitude, just that kind of knee-jerk reaction of giving thanks, to actually having a, a focus on the Lord and having a right understanding of Christian gratitude. The first of those bridges is going to be God's common grace. 
So common grace can be defined as the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not a part of salvation. Common grace may sound a bit bland and uninspiring when you think of common grace. Even the word, the the, the title itself even kind of comes off as very bland. But I lost my place. It may come off as very bland and uninspiring, but it really, it's not, it's not there to really thrill us. It's in reality, it should thrill us. It should thrill us to the very core and the very fact that we get common grace in the first place. Every breath that we take is a blessing from the Lord. And every breath that we take is a common grace that even unbelievers get. It's not because of our salvation. It's not because we've earned that breath. It's because the Lord has, has decided in that moment to sustain our lives. So that, that is a, a form of common grace. Common grace is the daily blessing we receive from the Lord that we do not deserve. As Crow puts it in his book, it conveys the audience, not the quality of the gift. Common grace is beautiful because it comes from the giver, and that's God himself, and is given to all mankind to show his patience and his love for us. From the very moment that we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we are tallying up one mark after another of God's common grace in our lives. So here's, here's a little interaction. What are some examples that you can think of of common grace? So this would be grace that is given to both believers and unbelievers. The floor is open. Food. Food, yes. Believers and unbelievers get to enjoy food. Somebody else yelled something, but all I heard was food. Not surprising. Gravity, Gravity. yep. Yep, the fact that we're sitting comfortably in our chairs right now, not floating to the ceiling. Having, family. Having families. Mm-hmm. Any others? General order in society. Order in society. Mm-hmm. Bird, song, the bird, bird songs. The mm-hmm. So some of the ones I have down here are sleep. The fact that you can have a good night's rest, and for most of us, rest in a bed under a roof that we have. Charles Spurgeon, in one of my favorite quotes ever, he said, God gave us sleep to remind us that we are not him. That always struck me. Functioning minds and bodies, the very air that we breathe, I have one kind of similar, just music in general. I mean, why, why would we have the honor of enjoying music apart from the good grace of God? Like, if you really sit and think about it, the fact that we can sit and just have our radio on and enjoy that and have the intellect to understand that and have, like, the, the brain power and the whatever is going on up there to connect all of those things that give us joy, all of that was created by God. None of it's necessary to know God, but he allows us to have that so that we can enjoy that. My last one, uh, yesterday morning, uh, Reagan was getting ready to go to gymnastics. All the kids were up. I was making breakfast, and Reese um, asked for bacon. 
I'd already made all the eggs and I was getting ready to leave the door to take Reagan to gymnastics, but I was going to go pick up, surprise, surprise, coffee for me and Jess for when I came home. And Duncan, another reason to love Duncan, everybody, is they have something called snack and bacon. And it's literally just a bag of bacon that you can order. And so, Duncan Donuts. So I ordered our coffee. And right as I'm ordering the coffee, I hear Reese say that she wants bacon. Didn't have time for myself to make it. And so I just put coffee on it, or put uh, bacon on it. So I'm starting to walk out the door and... Um, Reese said, well, why, why, are we, why are we getting bacon? Like, why do we enjoy bacon? I was like, common grace, Reese, common grace. So we can enjoy it. Unbelievers can enjoy it. And Jess just gave me the most confused look ever. I was like, we're talking about it tomorrow. So bacon is a common grace that we can enjoy. The bridge of common grace helps us see even the common blessings of life as deep wells of thanks that we can draw from on a daily basis that should push us to embrace the giver and realize our place as unworthy receivers. The second bridge that we can take to, get, to bridge this gap between our selfishness and having that right focus on the Lord is God's creation. Psalm 92, 2 through 5 says, Let us come into the presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. The Lord is great, or the Lord is a great God and the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. God's creation offers no shortage of things to be thankful for to the Lord. As I was sitting and, and typing out this, this lesson, I was looking out the, the window of our office. We've lived in this house for seven years now. We recently, over the last couple of years, remodeled our, our office to be a homeschool room and just a general office for us. So I've looked out this window almost daily for seven years. And as I was sitting here, I realized that at no time did I ever deserve anything that I was looking out outside this window. Evansville may not strike many of us as a, a place of beauty to behold. However, whenever I was looking out that window, I realized that we do have amazing flowers to look at. We have trees that we can appreciate. The grass was green that morning. It was Nice just to look at the grass. The birds were enjoying the trees. There's so many things outside to look at in God's creation. And whenever you sit and you realize that even the smallest flower can bring us joy and a joy that we don't deserve as rebels against a holy and righteous God, it makes us understand that we should be giving thanks even for the smallest blade of grass. However, God goes farther than just giving us the smallest blade of grass. Now, whenever we think outside of our city, whenever we think outside of Evansville, what do we think of? For me, I wrote down a couple. I think of the Rocky Mountains. I think of the Grand Canyon. I think of Niagara Falls, the Pacific Coast, Yellowstone, Devil's Tower. All of those are just in the borders of our country. 
If we go further than that, you can think of the Alps, you think of Victoria Falls in Africa, the sifting sands of the Sahara, or the white cliffs of Dover. All these things are things that are universally thought of as beautiful works of art. Beautiful things that God has created for us to enjoy. So that brings the question of why did he even do that? Why did he build these things for us to enjoy? We may contribute to these things by fulfilling the commandment of God to cultivate and maintain the land, but apart from God's grace in creating it, in creating it all in the first place, we would not have any of it to take joy in. The bridge of God's creation helps point us to a bigger and better creator and pushes us to understand our need to thank him for this great groaning creation that we live on. Whenever I think of, I don't have this in my notes, but whenever I say that we need to be thankful for creation, what was the first thing that popped into your mind? Just out of curiosity. The beach. Me and Cheryl will never take a vacation together. No, I, do, I do not like the beach. <laughs> Anybody else? What was the first thing that popped in your mind whenever you think of enjoying creation? The wacky animals? Giraffes. Yep. Sloths. Mm, giraffes and sloths. <laughs> Duck billed platypus. And the birds. The birds. Cats We are. The yeah. Walking. Somebody say walking. Walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the riverfront. The riverfront. Mm-hmm. So I can remember growing up. My um, grandma and grandpa lived in Nebraska, and I can't remember how often it was, but we would go out there for Christmas quite often. It was either every other year, I think it was about every other year, we would go out there for Christmas. And I can remember my mom always telling me that the sunrises in Nebraska, or the sunsets in Nebraska are one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. And you don't really realize just how beautiful a sunset can be until you're there. But what shocked me is whenever, like, that, that was the most beautiful sunset I'd ever seen, up until, surprisingly, I went to Iraq. And I was in Iraq, and the sunsets and the sunrises in Iraq are amazingly beautiful. The terrain, Iraq itself, nope. The sunrises and sunsets are beautiful. So even in, in places that are just devastated by us or just in generally not the, the most pleasant places to be, that you can feel the presence of God through his creation and seeing the sunrises, sunsets, just the things that he's put into place to make sure that you know he's there and to be thankful to him. The third bridge that we can take is going to be God's providence and provision. In Genesis 45, 1 through 7, we see, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood, before, or stood by him. He cried, making everyone go out from, or make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, 
whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not distress or angry, or do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And then if you go down a little bit further in Genesis 50, 19 through 21, but Joseph said to them, do not fear for I, or for am I in the place of God as you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God's provision or providence can be understood like this. It's God's sovereign governance and oversight over the world. Think of it through the passage that we just read. God's providence ordained that Joseph would have brothers and that those brothers would sinfully hate him. In doing so, God used their sin to position, to position Joseph exactly where he would need him to save God's people from a famine that was coming. In saving his people from this famine that would come, God was, per, was preserving the plan of salvation he foreknew to bring salvation to the world through Jesus who would be born from the bloodline of the people that he was saving through Joseph. So that's a, a beautiful example of God's providence. He controls all things. Could he have chosen not to have the famine happen? Yeah, but that's not, that's not the way in which he decided to fulfill his plan of salvation. His way was to allow the famine to happen, force the people to Egypt which would eventually result in Moses, which are, you can just keep going down the line from there. But you can see God's providence in every aspect of that. Alistair Begg, in one of his sermons, I think it might have been on Joseph, was talking about how there are many times he'll, he'll sit down and open up his Bible and just wish that he was reading this story for the first time. Because just the excitement that you get reading through Joseph or Abraham or many other stories in the Bible, the excitement that you can get from that and if you just can get that again, just for the first time, it would just be a beautiful thing. It's the same thing we can see here in, in Joseph. If you sit back and you understand what's actually going on in this story, and it's not just about Joseph and his brothers. It's not just about Joseph and Jacob. It's not about the, the coat. It's not about Pharaoh. What you got here is just this beautiful example of God's providence working its way through the storyline of Joseph. God's providence... Uh, we already went over that. Part of God's providence comes through his provision for us, though. He provides jobs, homes, health, friends, family. None of these blessings are guaranteed, but are used by God to show his love for us. In that book that I mentioned last week, it was the Seasons of Sorrow by uh, Tim Chalice. He has a chapter in there where he mentions um, his ministry. I'm trying to think of what he calls it. 
I think it's his ministry of sorrow that he feels that God has placed him in now. So he's, his son is taken from him unexpectedly at 20 years old. The, the, the kid seemed like he had the, just a, um, um, an amazing trajectory. He was already in seminary. He was going through seminary very quickly to get out with a doctorate. He was already interning somewhere. He was at Southern Seminary at the time. Um, had all of his ducks in a row. Seemed like a great kid. I mean, he even said that after his son died, he got onto his son's computer and started going through his search history just to see if maybe he had searched like some kind of disease or some kind of um, symptom that he might have been feeling that would have helped them understand where he was at. And he goes, for most parents, that would terrify them to have to go through their, their kid because you don't want to, you kind of don't want to know what you don't want to, what you don't know. He's, he writes in there, it's a letter to his son that he has in there, and he talks about going through his search history, and there was absolutely nothing in his search history that would make him ashamed of his son. So this kid was on the right trajectory, and he was taken. He was taken out of the world. And Chalice openly admits that he doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand what God's doing in this. But what he has realized is that through God's providence and through his provision, Chalice now has this ministry where he can come alongside other hurting believers that are going through similar things. So we may not understand the means of which we're being put to that, but there is a reason. There is a reason. We may not know that reason this side of eternity. We may not know this. We may not care about it once we get to eternity. But there is a reason. And what that should show us and what that should tell us is that through God's providence provision, we should be giving thanks continually to God. The bridge of God's providence and provision should push us to again point us towards God and understand that he, he, that he is sovereign over all things and provides the way and means that allows us to live in a world through his sovereign control. His providence and provision, much like that second class that we went over of, of having a right view of God, his providence and provision are a great example that, one, we deserve nothing, but he gives us things lavishly. He graces us continually, and it's through his providence and provision that he does that. Our fourth bridge that we're going to talk about is God's grace through Christ. This form of grace, if you remember the last form of grace we just talked about was common grace. This form of grace is often called special grace. Is one of the terms that you can, you can be given to this. Unlike common grace, which is grace lavished on all mankind, special grace is received only by those who are united in Christ. Dustin Crow says, These gifts of grace purchased by Christ's blood are the greatest of gifts and produce the deepest of gratitude. If you must have uh, a little list of what God has given you, ponder the following. He has given you, and this is a, I'm sorry, this is a quote by Charles Spurgeon. If you must have a list of what God has given you, ponder this or ponder the following. He has given you a name and placed you among his people. He's given you the right and nature of his sons. He has given you complete forgiveness of all your sins, and you have it now. He has given you a robe of righteousness that you are wearing now. He has given you a... a goodness, my... I, 
So just so you guys know, when I read, this is why I try not to do manuscripts, when I read, my eyes jump all over the screen. Uh, it's something going on. So whenever I get lost, I can read, I promise you, but I just get lost in the page. He has given you a robe of righteousness that you are wearing now. He has given you a superlative lovingness in Christ Jesus. He has given you access to him and acceptance at his mercy seat. He has given you this world and worlds to come. He has given you all that he has. He has given you his own son. And, his, and how shall he now refuse you anything? Oh, he has given as only God could. So what are some examples that you can think of of, of this special grace, of this grace that we as believers receive? Floor is open. Adoption of sons and daughters. Any others? Christ's righteousness. I've got four written down. The first I have is that Jesus saves us from our sins. We see in Matthew one twenty one, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We also have Jesus helps us in our fears and anxiety. Philippians four, six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ. Have Jesus comforts us in our uh, loneliness. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your life free from love of money and do not, er, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can be confident, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I have that Jesus helps us or sustains us in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can anybody else think of any others? The Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. The desire to please him? Abundant life? Yes. What was that? You said joy? Joy. What was yours, Kathy? Spiritual eyes to see. Unity with the body of Christ. Yep, we can have joy and sorrow that unbelievers don't understand. Mm -hmm. Another one that he mentions in there that I didn't write down was uh, we can have maturity. Like we think of non-believers not having an understanding of, of the word, of, of salvation, things like that. Whereas believers, we have that continual maturity through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Hope in the future. Hope in the future. Mm-hmm. 
Gratitude for heaven. Any others? The bridge of God's special grace should push us towards a deep love and thankfulness to Christ. Our deserved punishment is death. It is what we all have earned. But Christ's sacrifice has paid that price, and he has lavished his love and grace upon us. So in conclusion, we as believers often tend to focus heavily on the sin that is in our lives. And in many points, rightfully so. But in the process, we sometimes fall into the trap that we are wrong for enjoying the good gifts that God has given us. Although God is more important than the gifts we, that he gives us, we can and should also take joy in the gifts that he gives us. I wrote that down because I feel, I, just looking around, talking to many believers, there's often a very, just kind of downness in a lot of believers. A lot of believers tend to focus that, that we we talk about sin so much and we talk about fighting our sin so much that we often get stuck in that rut of only focusing on our sin and not focusing on the Savior that saved us from our sin. So it's also important for us to, re- to like we talked about last week, to stop and reflect and receive these, this, these good gifts and give thanks for these good gifts. Because we're always in that rut of spinning our wheels of, of focusing and thinking of our sin, which we should. I'm not saying ignore your sin. We should always be fighting our sin. But if we're only focused on our sin, it puts us in a rut to where we have no joy in focusing on the Savior. So we also need to make sure that we're taking time to focus and love the Savior as well. I'll leave you with the last words here in Crow's uh, chapter. You shouldn't feel guilty for the thrill of unwrapping and delighting in presents on Christmas morning, nor should you feel guilty for receiving what God gives you. But in both cases, rather than ignoring the giver, enjoy the gift with the one who gave it to you by saying thanks. We can receive the gifts. We can receive the gifts with great joy. And we should receive the gifts with great joy. But our joy should not be just in the gift. It should be in embracing the gift and the giver.